Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I talked to Sean Simpson, who is the senior analyst at Dashdot, and we talked about why you shouldn't invest in the latest hotspot. Ooh, a little bit contrarian. We talked about some examples about people getting into hotspots too late when they hear about it in the news, how to pick markets a little bit early, the value of being a contrarian investor and getting into markets a little sooner. We talked about some case studies of clients who have actually smashed it and gotten more growth in like 12 to 14 months than the previous owners got in the previous 12 to 14 years. Really, really interesting stuff there. Where you can go right, where you can go wrong, and how you need to think a little bit differently in order to be a successful investor, why you shouldn't follow the media. So if that sounds good to you, then this is going to be a great episode for you. And I encourage you to like, rate, review, share this with a friend, family member, or loved one. And without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is Sean Simpson. Sean's been on the show before. He is the senior property analyst at Dashdot. He's the guy that is like looking at all the locations, signing off on everything, making sure all the data makes sense, making sure we're making good property investment decisions. Sean, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Very well. Now, you've actually uh, recently relocated to another part. Have you, have you, have you relocated yet? Is that what's no, happened? No, I'm four or five days away. Next Friday, I'm Four I'm or moving, five days so. away. Nice. Yeah, yeah a lot nice. happening. So last time you were on the show, um, I believe we were talking about the fact that you had been uh, doing a bit of renovation and all of that kind of stuff. So that project's coming to an end? Not quite. It's interesting. I'm halfway through a, a strata subdivision and one side's on Airbnb and we're trying just about every every property strategy under the sun. But yeah, it's not quite finished, nearly. So you're just like you're halfway through and you're just like bugger this. I'm going to move, yep. I'm gonna move to later. the tropics. No, there's only, <laughs> only one, one kitchen, one bathroom and a, the subdivision bits are all, all pretty well done. So yeah. The less complicated stuff to go. So nice. that's all good. Nice, good stuff. Well, um, as much as I would love to dig into your property adventures, what I want to talk about today is why you shouldn't invest in the latest hotspot, which is a little bit contrarian, I think, because everyone thinks, oh, you should invest in the latest hotspot. Shouldn't you invest in hotspots? That seems like a pretty good idea. What we want to talk about today is we want to talk about Bundaberg specifically, which is a really interesting example of a location which was recently, as we recently saw in the 7 News, 7 News came out with a big article, Bundaberg, the latest investment hotspot and all of this kind of stuff, right around the same time that we actually decided to stop buying there, which is pretty mm. interesting. What do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I think it is very, very interesting, but I think it's it's another really good example of once these big media companies dive on these areas, you're probably a good bit too late. You might be 6, 12, 18 months too late, which is why you really need to be ahead of the game in any way that you can in identifying these areas before the general public obviously gets this big flagged headline and, and goes nuts on the area. I think it's a really interesting case in point around how the most successful investors inherently must be contrarian thinkers, right? Mm. And there's a quote that I've used on the podcast plenty of times, and it's a Mark Twain quote that says, if you find yourself standing on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Now, Warren mm. Buffett says things like, be fearful when other people are greedy and greedy people when other people are fearful. And I don't really like the terms greedy and fearful, but the sentiment of thinking independently and being prepared to go against the general consensus is a really, really good idea as long as it's backed up by really good fundamentals because 
it's not a good idea. If everyone says don't jump off a cliff, you don't just go jump off a cliff because nah. everyone says don't do it, right? So it's not about just trying to like find the things that just do the opposite. That doesn't, it's not a good strategy either. But it does make sense if you can cut through the noise and make decisions that are slightly contrarian, you stand to make significantly more gains as long as you're doing that in a really smart and calculated way, which is really interesting. And I'm really interested to dig into Bundaberg because this is a great example of people who got in early in the market. And we want to dig into that a little bit. But I just actually want to tell a little a little story because Bundaberg is, I remember in 20, I think it was early 2020, I would say like around the start of 2020, early 2020, maybe January 2020, we had a client and I was I was keen on Bundaberg. I was like, right, I can see what's going on in Bundaberg, right? Early 2020. I could see it coming. I was very excited about it. We found a unit block, six units. I still remember it clearly because I did so much due diligence on it. Six units, 8.4% yield on about a million dollar unit block. I think it was about 800 mm. thousand dollar unit block. Man, that would have been awesome. Like, imagine if you could find that today, Sean. Like, imagine yeah. if you could- <laughs> and then course. the other thing, other thing too, over that time, like rents have grown so much in Bundaberg, like all good and well that it's an eight something now, but they, they might be at 12, 13, like you don't even know what yield that would be today while still getting the ridiculous growth as well. So, you know, have your cake and, and eat it too. Totally. But that investor didn't buy it. That investor oh, didn't. Oh, that investor that did not. I know that hurts so <laughs> bad. That hurts so bad. Yeah. That investor didn't buy it because he just couldn't quite get over looking at the historical uh, data. Like mm. he was like, it was really interesting. He's like, oh, it looks like it's a stagnant market. Nothing's going on there. He just wasn't able to look forward. He was only able to look backwards, and as a result. He chose not to buy that unit block. In fact, he chose not to buy anything. <laughs> yeah, right? that's a really interesting, interesting point with the historical data because I think, you know, having reviewed hundreds and hundreds of suburbs, quite often the ones that can perform the best, if you were to look historically, might not look that fabulous at all. But then, you know, history isn't always a, a clear indicator of the future. And yeah, exhibit A, case in point. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so now- a little bit after with that, we went. We got very, very bullish on uh, mm. Bundaberg. You know, that was still pretty early. That was still pretty early when I was talking to that guy about that unit block. Uh, but I could see the the green shoots. It was pretty promising. But then we got very, very bullish after that. Do you want to kind of talk to like some of the historical data because it's pretty interesting? When did we really start sinking our teeth in and and going full bore in Bundaberg? Do you remember when that was? It was was that like yeah, October twenty or something like? I think it was yeah, around October twenty. I don't know the exact date, but sort of on the historical point, the really interesting thing. That that I found in one particular suburb that we did buy a lot of property in was that the median sales price was 291000 when we opened the suburb. And in May 2007, it was actually 300000 So you could say completely stagnant for about 14 years, if not a tiny little bit backwards. Yet obviously the performance over the following 18 months, uh, absolutely astronomical. So Yeah, do you want to, do you want to talk, talk to that? Okay, so 2007, the median sales price was about three hundred grand. Um, 2020, did you say? Yeah, yeah, 2020, about late 2020. Late 2020, the median sales price was 290000 so stagnant, yep. slightly pulled back, nothing, <laughs> nothing to nothing see exciting. here. Nothing exciting. Nothing exciting there. What, yep. Do you know what the median sales price is in that suburb now? Oh, no, I don't actually, but I could very confidently say that it's had in excess of 30, 30% growth, even just on the median, so far more growth than it had over the past couple of decades, I'd say. Yeah, which is pretty interesting, right? And because a lot of people think property markets just they, you know, 
they they look at historical growth and go, oh, what's the average historical growth over the last ten years? They people often use a ten year average. They go, what's the growth over the last ten years? Is that an indication of what's going to happen in the next ten years? And then they try and superimpose that. But typically, what happens in the last ten years is not what's going to happen in the next ten years. And if you no. can get if you can get the timing right, a lot of people say you can't time the market, right? <laughs> no, we got some pretty good examples to say say otherwise. Actually, if anyone out there thinks that you can't time the market, then I absolutely encourage you just to go buy any property anywhere, anytime. Like Because if you truly believe that it is impossible to find the right time to enter into a market, then it literally doesn't matter what you buy, when you buy, where you buy it. Just just go buy, just buy stuff and ho- yeah. hope, hope for the best. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So let's talk about that moment in time when we really sort of started getting into um, Bundaberg. What were some of the things that you can see in the data that were changing that might have been an indicator that it was a good time good time to get in. Yeah, look, there's obviously like a, a plethora of data that we, that we go through, but some of the really strong ones were a, a direct and sharp increase in, in sales activity or buyer demand in the area. Also, a really steep and quick increase in vacancy rates was another key one where we started to see a little spike in, in rents, which is always a good sign, among a huge amount of other things too. Like, you know, there's obviously a good good lifestyle piece, great affordability piece. Um, there was about $9.5 billion worth of projects within a 100-kilometre radius. Um, there's just a lot of ticks in the right direction, um, whereas obviously if you had your binoculars on just on the MSP, on the median sales price, sorry, it obviously wouldn't be looking too promising. But all these other boxes pointing in the right direction, yeah, really showed quite promising signs. I totally agree. But do you think... Why did we stop buying there? Because it's very interesting, right? Because there's a lot of you know very well-known property professionals who are mm. publicly stating that it is a great time to buy in Bundaberg right now, mm. like right now. They're saying, yeah, it, look, it's great. Why do we think or why do you think that it is not a good idea for people to buy there right now? Like, talk, Let's talk to that because a lot of people are saying it's good. They can see the prices going up. They're like, look, the prices mm. are going up. Isn't that going to continue? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things that go into it. But I think I think probably the most interesting one of to think about is that ideally, like why would you be jumping in now after 30, 40% growth? Like we're not saying that it's going to stop growing or go backwards, but the ideal scenario is still to get to buy effectively in a market where there's less competition, where you might purchase for, you know, quite a reasonable price, potentially under market value prior to this this craziness um, and ride the whole wave rather than the little tail end of it. Another piece that's sort of critical for us too is that we want to buy effectively for our clients. We don't want to be paying over market value or getting into these crazy, crazy um, bidding wars, which tends to happen once these big headlines start. Quite often there is some early adopters and people that get in prior to those as well and we can sort of start to see things heating up um, before that. But obviously once the masses move in, it is very, very challenging to, to purchase effectively and that's the point where, you know, if you were just in the habit of just buying anything anywhere and just just hope for the best, like all good and well, but ideally you really want to purchase for a good price, not just a fair price and you don't want to be getting in these crazy kind of multi-offer scenarios where you're forced to pay Traditionally, what would be over market value in terms of a, a bank fail or, or anything like that? Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because that's a really interesting point. Because a lot of people say that um, market value is whatever mm. people yes. are prepared to pay. Yeah, that's what it. That's th- the interesting thing, and something we run into all the time. Because um, this is something we have to go through quite a lot with the analysts. Because realistically, if you're buying, you know, a, a standard house in a suburb where everything sells for four hundred and fifty thousand, and then 
some silly person, for lack of a better word, goes and pays a million bucks for the same home down the road, is that whole suburb now worth a million dollars? Like the question is that home is technically worth a million dollars if you take market value as what somebody will pay for the property. Um, But then there's an interesting comparison between what is market value deemed by the market and then what you would say is good value or, or fair value or where we can see you know, that we're putting the client in, in the best position possible, which can often be two different things. And normally the gap between those two values skews the furthest in these markets where the competition is this high because people are willing to pay more to get into the area they want to be in. They're facing a huge amount of competition. So that's what accelerates the market that market value for us, which is what we really want for our clients. That's why it's best if we can get in early, um, leave the area, and now we're getting all these people who are willing to pay that it's somewhat exorbitant market value, which then drive the growth for us as we sit back and, and kind of watch. So, how do you rationalize? Because effectively, if enough people, like let's say on mm. aggregate, let's say on aggregate that we think that 90% of properties in Bundaberg, just arbitrarily, being sold for $50,000 over fair market value, doesn't that actually just mean that fair market value is in general 50 grand more? Like, why wouldn't people just get get in there? Like, why wouldn't people do that? Because because it's a really interesting thought process around like the over exuberance of the market, right? Because there's bank valuations. That's one thing. You know, can you actually get a loan based on the amount of pro- the, the, the number that you put on the contract? But then there's an argument that people are pricing in the growth. But then it's a self fulfilling prophecy in the sense that well, if enough people pay fifty grand more, <laughs> that's mm. going to add fifty grand to everything. It's not like there's one outlier um, purchase in the area. Let's talk about you. Let's use you as an example. Why would you or would you not you in, as an individual? Why would you or would you not participate in that environment? Let's say that you knew that there was, let's say it had 40% growth, but then you thought there was potentially another 40% growth in the market. Why would you or wouldn't you participate in that um, kind of an environment? A key thing to think about is a couple of things is what, how feeble the, the exuberance is and the crazy market activity is, is the first thing. Because obviously, if it's like you said, if it's one or two people paying this crazy number, it's not really substantiated. If it's 50, 60, 100, the whole market, then that's a different story. Um, the other thing too is that craziness and headlines and all that is fleeting. It doesn't last forever. Um, so at some point, the intrinsic drivers of the, the growth in the area being a whole number of other things will get back in the pilot seat over the, the big push in headlines and buyer activity. So I think sometimes that growth can be not fake, but it can be feeble. And in areas, especially say if you're working at a $2 million suburb in, in Sydney or something like that, that big big bloating of the suburb can actually contract once that, you know, big excitement leaves. Mm. So I'm not saying these areas necessarily go upwards and downwards and all over the shop. But yeah, my willingness to to participate in it would be trying to justify that the value is, is still there intrinsically, not just through the headline. Uh, and then the other thing too of how much of that wave of that headline can I still ride in the back end of it or how far through it are we sort of thing. They're the couple of things that I'd really consider. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because like it's really good to compare it to things like shares, right? Because mm. it's pretty easy to understand if anyone uh, remembers the whole kind of GameStop thing going on where it was like yeah. a lot of people got really excited and really hyped up and they overinflated the prices of these companies mm. just because they drove up the sentiment. And the, the headlines, and the, yeah. And, and the headlines and the, and the activity. And that can cut it. Now, and again, I agree with you. I don't think Bundaberg is mm. going to go. Um, this is not an, in any way to say that I think Bundaberg is going to suddenly go down in value. No, not at all. No. <laughs> I think it's kind of a long way to go yet um, but it does beg the question around how you define like what is fair market value is there a process that you go through when markets are starting to get 
ahead of themselves. Is there a process because like how do you go about defining fair market value? I think it's a really interesting question because obviously you look at comparables, but then if the market is trending upwards, AVMs typically can't keep up with that kind of stuff. How do you go about doing that? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tricky thing. And that's the, you know, the bane of the existence of lots of my team is that, you know, we buy in high growth areas and traditional methods of valuing homes is looking backwards. So if you're in a high growth market and you're valuing backwards, you can quite often miss. Um, but there's a few tools that we do use. Um, obviously, the data and tech team have done this brilliant, brilliant job creating the ability to use to have a predictive model, which can quite often give us a good example of how far we think the suburb will grow, which does quite often feel like cheating, but it's it's an excellent tool to use. The other thing too is that if we're really confident, if we can see the whole you know armory of data and which direction that the um that the market's going and and quite often in some of these suburbs like i think for the last quarter we reviewed 19 and a bit thousand properties you get really really in tune at, at what is valued in different markets like in some values certain home characteristics will have certain values and we can get really really in touch with um whether it is a good buy or not not necessarily through just traditional cmas so yeah there's a whole whole different bunch of things that we can use but i think the main one is if, if we're really confident in the suburb and the data um, and really confident that the property is a good buy and is desirable and, and we're, we're, you know, riding that wave, then we normally got our finger on the buzzer pretty, pretty closely. How many properties did you say that you guys had analysed in how long? I do the initial shortlisting. So, over the last quarter, I've looked at 19,600 and something. 19,600 and something in the last three yep. months. In the last three months, yep. And then of that, then a, a large amount then go into the shortlist for the analyst to then review. Um, which takes a deeper level of due diligence and then an even less amount then get presented to our acquisition managers and then a smaller amount gets presented to the client. So of that 19,000 three months. Yeah, it's a lot of properties. So <laughs> it's funny. It's like um, my partner come home and I, I might not remember a birthday, but I can remember the color of the kitchen in a property I shortlisted like a week <laughs> and a half ago. So it's just about all I look at, to be honest. Um, <sighs> That's but, crazy. Yeah, so. That's crazy. Yeah, of that, that 19,000, there's only really like it's interesting to look at the funnel and the percentages that go down. You know, that's that's only say 1%-ish of the suburbs in Australia and then potentially 1-ish percent, 1% to 2% of those properties might even make it to the next team to review for our clients. Yeah. So, it's a very, very steep funnel uh, from that 19,000. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Okay, cool. So let's talk about then, let's get a little bit granular because I think that one of the biggest problems when people hear about a hotspot is they can still go and stuff it up, right? Mm. I actually I actually think that it is one of the like kind of malpractice of most yeah. of these people to be able to go, hey, the latest hotspot is Bundaberg because Bundaberg's it's a regional center. It's still a pretty decent sized place. You can very plenty of places you can go wrong. Plenty yeah. of places you can go wrong. You could buy the wrong mm. property in the wrong street in a flood zone in the wrong suburb. You could get all kinds of things wrong and kind of like not make it work. So there's there's a couple of little interesting things in here. So number one is like not looking backwards and looking forward. And I'd love to know if we've got any kind of like if you've got any examples of people who capitalized on that. And then I'd also like to dig into like. What happens if you get the wrong plate? You get the like right area. So we'll say Bundaberg. Mm. Like, oh, Bundaberg's a hotspot. Let's just go buy any house in Bundaberg. Let's start there. Like, have you got any examples yeah. of like where where people can go wrong? Because I think we're I think it's a huge thing that people go. Oh, Geelong's a great place to buy. So, well, Geelong's got a lot of places mm. in it as well. You could very easily go yeah. wrong. Have you got any examples of where people have sort of gone wrong there? Yeah. No, I think you're 100 right. Some people just pick a news source, and then whatever that news source says, obviously that's where we buy. 
you know, realestate.com, sort by the newest listing and let's buy the top one. But that's not necessarily always the best way to go. So I do have a couple of um, ripper examples. So one property we bought in Bundaberg uh, was really interesting. The previous owner paid 260000 for it in 2007. We then bought it for 270000 in October of 2021. So that previous owner has got 10 grand of growth in 14 years. So that's 3.8%-ish over the, over the total of 14 years. And we've just had a bank fail done at 413 grand. So we've got 140, 143 grand of growth in 17 months. So that's about 52% growth. 52% um, and, growth. Yeah. And while having a, a 6.7% yield. Hey, so, we bought it for two, hang on. We bought it for 270 and it's now worth 413. Yep. Wow. That is. And still got plenty of, plenty of room to, go, to, to grow in, in um, Bundaberg. We're not sort of saying that, yeah, it's, it's completely done and out. Like this is just sort of the start, but it definitely highlights the, you know, how good it can be if you do ride that initial wave. That's crazy. That's, that's mental. What was the yield on that? <laughs> so it's 6.7 at purchase, um, but I did have a look. That suburb has had 25% rental growth between now and then. So, you know, even if you just got the median, whatever the median rent was, who knows what that'd be now? Maybe a nine, nine and a bit. Mate, that's I don't know. awesome. Might have to check my maths. Okay, but. so so just to, just to recap on that. So the previous fourteen years, they got ten grand and like three point something percent growth, and in the yep. next fourteen months, there was fifty two percent growth on that yep. property. Yeah, that's it. So that's and unreal. Even got, you've got another corker, even like that's obviously a, a fairly cheap, affordable asset. Um, but I even got one here with a quite a large unit block. Which is yeah, it, it's nearly the perfect headline here. We bought it. The previous owner had got forty four percent growth in fourteen years. Forty four percent growth in fourteen years. Is that right? Yeah, in fourteen years, and then we've got forty four percent growth in fourteen months. So Whoa. same amount of growth in months, not years. So, um, and this was at a seven point three percent yielding unit block. Wow, wow, we how many um how many units in that unit block? Um, I think it's four. Nice. Well, I just have to double check the exact address, but from memory. Nice. You remember um, the kitchens in like all of the. Yeah, the kitchen. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So not the. <laughs> done, done, you know, yeah, 20,000 yeah. properties since then. <laughs> I can't remember all of them. <laughs> awesome. But then another, another ripper thing that I, I found is in the same LGA, not the same suburb, um, but in the same LGA, I've actually found a home that was bought and sold very, very similar. So. October and then and then was sold again very very recently October 21 to recently it was bought and sold for the exact same number so same time frame same LGA different suburb and zero growth over that same time period so yeah definitely why, why definitely you, not the, why do you think that is I think it could be a number of number of reasons I don't know the exact mm. circumstances it could potentially be somebody severely overpaid for something I really don't know I I didn't look too much into the exact property it could be a really bad campaign. Now it's it's very interesting that they didn't sell for more with all the you know market activity totally. that they currently have. Um, but you could think there could be one of those strikes against it, which is turning people turning investors off. Like mm. like you said, it might have been you know they might not have been aware it was really heavily in a flood zone or like something that a lot of investors will check uh, that might have been a strong strike against. Which now they're not yeah. taking advantage of that hyped investor interest. So yeah, I think that's I think it's it's such a good point. And like we've said this loads of times before that the difference between a good property or a good street and a bad street or a good pocket and a bad pocket can be can be as little as 50 meters and oh, it can be mm, such massive. a significant shift in 
growth and uh, and long-term value. It's tremendous. Like that is, that's phenomenal. Even in a rising market, someone's bought it and sold it for the same price, which means they've lost mm. money, uh, which means yeah. they've lost plenty of money on it. Man, that's crazy. What would you say to somebody who is looking at buying in a suburb, but they're like concerned about that kind of historical, looks like the prices haven't gone anywhere, feeling a little bit nervous, looks like a bit of a flat market. What would you say to someone like that to mm. give them confidence? If it, if it was your mum, right? Let's say it was your mum who was like thinking about buying a house in, let's say, Bundaberg back in 20, uh, 2020 and she was looking at it and she's like, oh, but it doesn't look like the prices are going anywhere. What would you say to her? How mm. would you explain that to her, that opportunity? Yeah, it's it's very tricky. I, I think a couple of examples like that one are, are key, but I think the big one is that you really have to trust you know, the data and, and, and what you're looking at for the future, not necessarily just the history, because um, mm. as we saw there, like the history really has very little um, effect on what the future future promising sort of factors are for mm-hmm. a suburb. It's a it's a really tricky one because like how do you give people how do you give people confidence how do you give people confidence to look forward right and I think that some of the, some of the things that you kind of need to look at is is like buyer activity, um, you know, de- supply versus demand, um, investment uh, increasing in area and all of that kind of stuff. But it's a pretty hard hurdle for most, for a lot of people to get over. So, I th- But I think the mm-hmm. more that we can ed- educate people to look forward, not backward, uh, the better because there's still, I think, I think that's still such a big issue. And um, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking, so let's say they've heard about a hotspot, Bundaberg perhaps mm-hmm. could be another hot spot. They've read an article in the newspaper and they're thinking about just going and having a crack at trying to buy the right property uh, in that. So what would what advice would you give someone like that? I think a good one would be to just have a look at how much growth, you know, there's headlines there now, but maybe just have a look at, at where it has traveled or how far it has traveled and, mm-hmm. you know, whether this is just the start of the wave or you're, you're coming in the back end of it. Because some of these suburbs like this, you could read that headline, jump into some stats on Bundaberg and see that, you know, a suburb might have gone up 45%. And if it's gone up 45% already, there's, there's like we said, there's no saying how far Bundy will go. Um, but again, is it ideal? Is it the ideal situation to be getting in? Would you have rather get the 45% plus whatever it's got left sort of thing? So that's a really, really key thing to think about is that quite often by the time those headlines are in, you're really, really at the back end of, of a lot of the really good growth. Yeah, it's really interesting because I actually made that mistake, by the way. So early mm. on in early on in our um, property journey, Gabby and I, like the second property we ever bought, and we didn't really have, like we were still working out how, how it worked. It was like we literally, we'd bought one property that was a dud and then we were going to buy our, our second property. We read all these headlines, right? And it was like Nor Lane was like the the hotspot, right? Nor Lane in Geelong. It was the hotspot. And we were like, oh, Nor Lane, yeah, let's go buy there. No worries. And little did we know, we, we looked at the graphs and we're like, look at the line, it's going up there like oh we're like this is perfect yes it's gonna keep going up literally we bought at the peak like literally mm. we bought at the peak <laughs> we bought at the peak now thankfully we managed to buy a property that was significantly under market value so we made money on the way in so happy days and thankfully because of the consumer behavior and stuff like that t- turns out they had a second wind and it's had a massive growth spurt again since mm. but i think we were lucky there <laughs> more than anything else yeah. because you know like at the end of the day we followed all of that too we didn't really understand the idea of getting in at the start and but it can be really daunting to get in at the start it can be really scary it can feel like mm. ah you know this doesn't feel good and i don't know about the people here and this look the unemployment is like this and the, but things change suburbs change mm. suburbs suburbs gentrify suburbs grow that is how property markets move even if we look at places like bunbury like not long ago bunbury bunbury was basically like why would anyone buy in bunbury i remember the very when i very first started talking about bunbury people were like oh you don't want to buy there it's a bloody it's a bloody 
cracked it. It's like all like people who just had nothing but bad things to say about it. And now it's one of the fastest moving markets in the entire <laughs> in the entire country, mm. right? And so I think the big lesson here is that people need to look beyond the stigma and they need to be able to look forward at what is happening in the market, look to see what the potential is and look to understand the underlying economics of it. It's like looking at a business that's doing a turnaround. It might look bad, but actually maybe there's great prospects for that business to turn, to turn around. But then not only that, you've really got to be mindful that you're not coming into these markets too late as well. The big lesson here is like, if you're reading about it, if you read about it as a hotspot, it's already too late. It's already time for you to turn your, turn your gaze elsewhere and keep looking, which is hard because most investors want validation. Most investors feel anxious and nervous and scared. They're just like, well, but at least I've got something that says this is a hotspot. Therefore, I at least can feel more satisfied, more confident and everything like that, that this is going to be a good decision for me. But in actual fact, that's a red flag and it's time for you to start thinking elsewhere and to get ahead of the curve. To be a successful investor, you have to be able to think a little bit contrarian. You have to be able to get outside your comfort zone and you've got to stop following the news. That I think is what, I, what I'd be kind of taking about away from this. What do you you think Sean? Yeah, no, I think that once once you see the MSP growth or the median sales price growth, you are pretty well too late. So if you're waiting for validation, then you've you've definitely missed the bus. But I think it's especially important now as we come out of this. Obviously, COVID was a crazy time across real estate, but lots of people were just throwing dartboards at the map over COVID and, and everywhere there was like a macroeconomic influence on the property market where everywhere got a nice little not everywhere, but everywhere got some kind of macroeconomic effect and push. Whereas now as we come out of that. We're even seeing, we buy all over Australia and I'm seeing every LGA start to act differently, whereas they all acted fairly similarly in that craziness during COVID. Mm. So, obviously, now that we come out of that stage, the intrinsic drivers for the LGA, like you said, go jump back in the pilot seat in, in driving the growth um, and that big macroeconomic push starts to recede. It's really, really critical that you do understand this because it's no longer you know, the, the party time where you can just, like you said, spin the globe around and put your finger on it and then buy buy any property here and get great growth. It's really, really important that you consider the intrinsic drivers for why is that suburb, why is that LGA, why is that specific property going to perform well? Yeah, that's critical, I think, as we move forward. Couldn't agree with you more. Like when the whole kind of COVID scenario was kicking off, I was quite vocal about the fact that Yes, some areas were like people were piling into these like, you know, like <clears> some <throat> small regional towns and stuff, good good lifestyle drivers, right? And so people were like, yep, we'll move there for lifestyle, but didn't have any, you've got to have the combination of lifestyle, jobs, and affordability basically, right? <clears throat> you've got to have a reason for people to stay there, not just go there, right? And <clears throat> we saw a lot, I could see loads of like coastal towns and, you know, kind of like regional centers and stuff, that, but didn't have anything going on that you could just see we're going to get a sugar hit and come back mm. off. But the problem was everything was going up. It was the everything boom, right? Mm. Everyone was like, ah, you just buy a property anywhere and it goes up. And some of the magic got lost because people didn't have, didn't pay attention to the underlying fundamentals. Mm. A lot of those markets are coming off now. A lot of those markets yeah. are coming off. Not the ones that have got that had the underlying drivers. And so being able to sort the wheat from the chaff then was the key to setting yourself mm. up for success now. And the benefit is now we get to like like a lot of those kind of ones that are were effectively stagnant markets that got a shot in the arm, an adrenaline hit that made them stand up and you know and and pay attention. They can you know we're starting to starting to fall away again, and we're starting to see the market start to return to some kind of normalization in terms of being able to identify those markets. So, personally, I think it's a great. Do you think it's a good time to be a, a, an investor? Would you be buying in today's market? A lot of people are worried about interest rates. And so, what do you think about that? No, I'm I'm still looking to buy, and I think it's an excellent time if you can assess those things that we've sort of spoke about. And exactly like you said, then I think that's another another good point with 
assessing the how feeble those kind of sugar hits are is that obviously some of these places like you saw if you're just you know picking wherever it is and they did just get that sugar hit and it is really really kind of feeble boost in the market mm. uh, it might not be a good time to be an investor but if you can really assess these and get through them and find a place to purchase where it has the underlying underlying economics behind it then yeah i think it's an excellent time to be an investor and in terms of interest rates interest rates are obviously something that we we battle all the time but they move up down left right that they're constantly changing in real estate and the good thing is if you're purchasing in these kind of areas which have got great drivers to boost rental growth you're locking in your price today for tomorrow's yields yields continuously grow because you only pay the purchase price once you don't have to keep paying as the property keeps growing so you know fair enough if you do happen to copper you know whatever it is twenty dollars a week negative or a hundred dollars a week negative or, or or whatever it does end up um there's heaps of ways to get around that ways you could speak your property manager to boost rents you know, rents might be going up in the area already. Like, can we put can we put pain in the place and get this thing positive? Like, there's heaps of ways around it, and I think it's it's a people can get stuck on on creating a, a non solution for a non problem when they're getting really really upset about interest rates. When you really need to zoom out, look at the bigger picture, sort of like what you were saying with lots of Warren Buffett's ideas. If you don't want to, if you're in the market of flipping houses, obviously a different story. But you need to be thinking about the long term, mm-hmm. and if you're assessing all those drive the the strong economic drives to the area, whether you're you're negative for six months shouldn't be on your radar really that's probably the least of your your concerns totally it's really funny isn't it because people can lose their head over short-term type <laughs> yeah. stuff i was talking to an investor the other day and they have two properties that they bought both had granny flats both granny flats were not council approved so they had been renting them out they had been renting them out and getting like uh like you know stupidly good yields and you know all good they tried to get them approved. They couldn't. They've decided not to rent them out. All good. So they're doing the right thing. They're not doing anything wrong. They they all good. Um, but they said, look, we're not going to rent these out anymore. They asked me for some advice. They said, well, what if what should we do? We're going to lose all this rent. Oh, the yields are going to. We're going to lose all this rent. The yields are going to drop. Ah, oh, should we just sell them? Should we just sell the properties? And I said, well. What's the yield on them now? Like without those, without the granny flats, one was seven percent, the other one was six point eight percent. When the national average is like three point eight, I think, or three point totally. nine, was, something. Yeah. At the moment, so I, was like, I was like, that is still a good property. Go and try and find that kind of property now. You're going to struggle mm. to find, like you would struggle to find in those suburbs a property yielding at those percentages. You couldn't go and buy a replacement mm. property yield, in, like getting that kind of yield in those locations. It's like you know, short term thinking is like one of the biggest biggest traps that most investor, mm-hmm. investors can get into, including picking spots because they're the flavor of the month and including 100%. making short-term decisions based on, you know, short-term interest rate fluctuations and stuff like that. No, I always think zoom, zoom out is is definitely key. And it's, it's funny that yield piece, like one of the people that initially sort of taught me stuff about developments and all the rest of it, we were going through uh, one of the properties that he owns recently. And he said when he bought it, he was, he was forking out. 20 or 25 grand a year in in how negative it was mm. um, because he built this huge apartment complex and you know it looked incredibly scary from what I saw and then I was like adding up what it what it was going for now and now it's like a 38% yield or something but he's owned it for 10 15 years so it's it's just the key the key thing there where he's thinking he wasn't thinking about what's what's the yield tomorrow on this he was thinking 20 25 years obviously completely different story so yeah I always Love think that. you got to zoom out and play the long game 100% Sean Great to chat to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Looking forward to having you back again. Thanks, mate.